we start out with a serious story. I didn't, um, I didn't know much about Frederick Douglass, but Kevin Miller describes the life of a slave, which is where our, our, um, God, our scripture passage begins. The life of a slave through the lens of Frederick Douglass. He grew up in Maryland in the early 19th century and experienced every brutality you can imagine. He was taken from his mother when he was only an infant. As a child, for years, he and the other kids would receive only runny cornmeal in a trough, and they would use oyster shells to, and fight each other to eat. He worked in the hot fields from sunup to after sundown. He was whipped. He was beaten almost to death by a master. He was attacked with a spike by a gang of whites. And even so, when Frederick Douglass considered trying to escape to freedom, he struggled with the decision. In his narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave, he writes that he had two great fears when it came to the idea of escaping. The first was leaving behind his friends. He wrote, I had a number of warm-hearted friends in Baltimore, friends that I loved almost as I did my life. And the thought of being separated from them forever was painful beyond expression. It is my opinion that thousands would escape from slavery who now remain, but for the strong cords of affection that bind them to their friends. His second fear was this. If I failed in this attempt. My case would be a hopeless one. It would seal my fate as a slave forever. Now, slavery continues in many forms for us, not as brutal as what many experienced, but we can be slaves to bad habits We can be slaves to difficult family situations or job situations. We can be slaves to relationships or other obsessions. And so even when we think about escaping from these bonds, we have fears. We have fears of leaving behind friends or other aspects of the painful life that we know and We may fear we'll fail in our attempt to break from the chains and to live free for ourselves and for God. Well, on September 3rd, 1838, Frederick Douglass remembers, I left my chains and succeeded in reaching New York without the slightest interruption of any kind. I've been frequently asked how I felt when I found myself in a free state It was a moment of the highest excitement I ever experienced. I felt like one who had escaped a den of hungry lions. Well, they had slaves, of course, back in biblical days as well. And Paul uses that image to tell us about the power of transformation that the Spirit of God provides for us. In the book of Acts and in the Gospels, we know that two nights before the first Easter, 
Jesus' followers were hiding behind locked doors because they were scared. They had fears too. About seven weeks later, they had been completely transformed. On the day we call Pentecost, they were preaching, boldly preaching in the streets of Jerusalem. That's quite a change. What transformed them? The Spirit of God coming at Pentecost. And it is this same spirit that transforms us from the life of a slave's fears to being adopted as a son or daughter into the master's household and family. Teacher Debbie Moon's first grade class was discussing a picture of a family, and there was one little boy in the picture who had a different colored hair from everyone else. And one child said, well, maybe that child was adopted. And another girl said, I know all about adoption. I'm adopted. And another one said, well, what's adoption? And she said, the one who was adopted said, it's when you grow inside your mommy's heart instead of your mommy's tummy. Well, the Gospels portray Jesus calling God Father dozens and dozens of times. Mark tells us that Jesus called out Abba, Father, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now Paul is telling us that God's spirit enables us to approach God in the same intimate way that Jesus did. Daddy. How does it feel to you to think of God as daddy? Is it comfortable? Uncomfortable? I see at least one head shaking. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different. It's easier for some than it is for others. Um, and especially there are a lot of people who have had great difficulties with their own earthly daddies. And that makes it difficult for them to see God as a heavenly father or especially as a daddy. It's not a positive image. That for them, the father was more like a slave owner than the image that daddy gives me, which is someone with a big, strong lap and cuddling arms. That's daddy to me. Well, Paul doesn't dwell on this, but goes on. If we are God's children, then we are members of the same family and have an inheritance like no other. Well, there was this note in the Everett Washington Herald. Dick's and Peggy's 50th anniversary party has been canceled due to lack of interest. They are now going around the world courtesy of their children's inheritance. Our inheritance as Christians is not something that can be spent on a cruise or a new car or a house at the lake. Among other things, it's the inheritance, the unique inheritance of a strong family. A team of researchers observed and interviewed 3,000 strong families, what they deemed strong families in South America, Switzerland, Austria, Germany, South Africa, and the United States, 3,000 families, to discover what makes families strong. 
they concluded that strong families have six main qualities. Family members are committed to the family. They spend time together. They have good family communication. They express appreciation to one another. They have a spiritual commitment. And sixth, they are able to solve problems in a crisis. Comedian George Burns said, Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. Whether our families live near or far, the church is the place where we ought to be able to claim our inheritance as God's children. I can't say I remember the sermons at the church where I grew up, but I do remember that every Sunday after we had communion, we did it once a month there like we do here, everyone would stand up and stretch out their hands, hold hands, reaching across the aisles and sing, Blessed be the tie that binds. Most of you all know that. Um, let's sing it. It's 433 in your hymnal. We're just going to sing the first verse, 433. And I'd like for you to listen to the words as you sing them. Ready? Oh, thank you. Marilyn, you are quick. I didn't warn her about that. I was going to do it a cappella. Thank you. Kindred minds and Christian love make the church a unique family. Now, are our minds always kindred? No, of course not. They can't be. We, we shouldn't even expect them to be, ever. We're just like a normal family, and your family of two or three or however many there were, you know you had differences, and we have differences here. We shouldn't expect otherwise. We're not always, we're not always of kindred mind. And like in any family, like this, people in churches have differences and therefore difficulties, And in fact, Paul notes in our passage today the fact that being a joint heir with Christ means that we will suffer like him. Some of you probably will remember this. Um, It was new to me that on September 2nd, 1945... 
The documents of surrender officially ending World War II were signed by representatives of Japan and of the Allied nations. General Douglas MacArthur officiated at the ceremony above on, the, on board the USS Missouri, and he was the last to sign on behalf of the U.S. Flanked by his military colleagues, MacArthur took out his Parker fountain pen and simply signed his first name, Douglas. He then passed the pen to General Wainwright, who signed Mac. He took the pen back, MacArthur took the pen back, and he passed it to General Percival. And Percival signed Arthur. Now, this unusual procedure was MacArthur's way of honoring the two U.S. generals who had suffered severe persecution as prisoners of war. They had persevered, and now they were allowed to share in the glory of the victory. The last verse of today's passage describes the future of those who persevere in the spiritual battles. Paul calls them, Paul calls us, joint heirs, joint heirs. Heirs. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ will also share in his glory. As an example, there was a girl named Jamie who lost her arm in an accident. She didn't want to go to church or school for an entire year, and her parents allowed her to do that. Finally, she felt like she was ready to to face her peers again. In preparation, her mother called her Sunday school teacher and asked that the teacher just kind of, you know, gloss over it, not, not point her out or anything like that. She felt like it would embarrass her daughter. And so the Sunday school teacher promised to do that, then got sick called in a substitute and forgot to tell the substitute what the mother had said. So at the conclusion of the class that day, which was about inviting friends to church, the substitute led the class in doing the hand motions to the familiar children's poem. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. Can you imagine how Jamie was feeling? She didn't have an arm. So she couldn't do all that. So one of the little boys, um, another 13-year-old, looked at her and saw her. And he came over beside her and put his hand up with hers so that together they could do, here is the church, here is the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. Well, church, I hope that's what we can do. Pull together as a family. And like in any family, we have responsibilities. We have chores. We have care for each other. We offer each other strength and encouragement and hope. That is a great gift, this gift of adoption as God's children. And I hope just the knowledge of it can pull us together, just like drawing a drawstring 
pull us together so that we then have that courage and that power and that hope that can spread out wherever we take it because we go in all different directions, not just around the valley. We go in all different directions and just think how much better the world could be when we carry the love and power of sonship and daughtership to people who feel like orphans. Let's pray. Thank you, O God, for adopting us. Thank you for being holy and yet one who is so intimate with us to know everything about us. God, as you strengthen us, as you forgive us, we pray that you would carry us into the world with hope, with light, and with your unconditional love. In the name of our Lord and brother Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.